Good morning. John 1, 1 through 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Thank you, Ashley. Good morning again, everybody. I got to tell you something. I love that passage from Scripture. It is, seriously, I've been fixated on it for like four years. I love it. I absolutely adore it. Um, And we are going to circle back to it throughout the morning. Before we depart from it, though, I just want to mention one thing that fires me up about the verses Ashley just read. And it's this claim that the Apostle John makes in these words. And it's a claim about where we find life. It's a a claim about where life is found. And it's not a claim about happiness. It's not a claim about any of that stuff. It's like, it's a claim about the kind of life that is a soul kind of life. And his claim is this, that we find a life when we come into contact with answers to questions we have about why we're alive. We find life in our reason. We find life in our why. When we come into contact with answers to questions about our why, it touches something deep in our soul and we come to life. He said, The reason is way back to the beginning. And when you come into contact with the reason, with your logos, with your why, with your word, you come alive. About a year ago, I had a chance to, uh, something that I don't get to do very often, but I had the chance to spend the entire day with my two kids my six-year-old son, Caleb, and my four-year-old daughter, Kendall. It was daddy day. And so one thing I love to do is I love to hike. And so we got in the car and we went out to Shenandoah. We parked and we hiked and we spent the whole day out in the mountains. And let me tell you, it was amazing. It was fantastic. It was absolutely divine. And I'm making such a big deal about how great it was because if you have young kids, you may know that the... The frequency with which you get to just experience each other, when everybody is totally content and everybody is just enjoying each other, it doesn't happen very often. Sad, but true. But this was one of those days. It was just us and we were all good. There was no drama Everybody was just enjoying each other. Even at at one point, my son Caleb got tripped up on a root on the trail and he went down. And because I couldn't help myself, I call out, trail one, Caleb zero. (laughs) I'm not sure the long-term effects of that kind of (laughs) joking. But Caleb pops up and he finds the next big rock he can scramble over and scrambles over it and he stands on top of it and he says, trail one, Caleb one. (laughs) It was that kind of day. It was amazing. What the kids didn't know was that before we left the parking lot to go down the trail, I had actually stashed a handful of Hershey Kisses in my pocket. No, no, they didn't melt. It's not not that kind of like gross, melty Hershey Kiss (laughs) story. 
Okay. This is what happened, though. About halfway through the hike, my, my thought was, how pumped will they be? We're like halfway through the hike, they're tired, and I bust out some chocolate. And they're going to be like, Daddy, we, we, <laughs> we love you even more. <laughs> this was my thought. But so here's what happened, though. This is an absolutely true story. I reach into my pocket about halfway through the hike, and I begin to pull out the chocolate, and something just says, Komar, stop. Don't do it. You are about to make a grave mistake. So I didn't. And we hiked on. And again, I reached my hand into my pocket. I was like, now it's time for the chocolate. I'm going to bust out the chocolate. It's going to be awesome. And I, and I started to pull the chocolate out of my pocket. And something said, stop. You have no idea what you're about to do. And I was like, what is going on? I'm like actually wrestling with this. Why is it such a hard decision for me to give my kids some chocolate? And then it just dawns on me. I would be making a grave mistake. And I know this is selfish, what I'm about to say, but I don't care. <laughs> My kids were enjoying their time with me. They were enjoying me, just me, nothing else. And I was loving it. And I knew, man, if I busted out that chocolate, their enjoyment of me just plummets. <laughs> and while they would just love spending time with me, I'm not chocolate, Okay. <laughs> And I know the rest of the hike is, you have any more chocolate, Daddy? So I was wrestling with this, and the hike continued. And I was still thinking, man, it just left an impression on me. And in a weird way, I began to pray about it. And, and I had this, the, the whole reason I bring this story up is what I'm about to tell you right now. Because in, in that, on that hike, I actually got the sense that God had something he wanted to say to me. And so I was praying about it. And, and this is what I sensed him impressing upon me. Because he just allowed me to experience this decision while my kids were enjoying their time with me. I felt very strongly that he was saying, Matt, we want you to know that that is exactly how we've felt about you pretty much your entire life. What we have wanted so badly is for you just to enjoy us, to be content in relationship with us, to wake up in the morning and be excited to effectively go on a hike with us. I felt like God was saying it was what we had in mind for you from the beginning. That is what you were meant for, man. That kind of enjoyment of company with us. When we determined, I feel like he said a lot to me. I'm going to keep going. But I felt like God was saying when we determined that you were to be endowed with something that reflects our image, that was it. The reason for you is to be in community with us and to community like us. Okay, I just want to take one second and ask you to do something that might be uncomfortable, but just want you to close your eyes for 10 seconds. I'm not going to do anything to you. Just 10 seconds, close your eyes, and I want you to conjure up a picture of God in your mind. Whatever it is, try to just pull out. What is it when you close your eyes and think of what God looks like? What is that image that comes to mind? Just a couple more seconds. Okay, open your eyes. Here we go. I'm not going to assume anything about what popped into your head. I'm, uh, trust me, I'm not naive enough to believe that there isn't a certain percentage of you that closed your eyes and just ignored the prompt and just pictured brunch. Okay? I know it's mid-morning. But I don't want to assume anything. And I imagine that some of you, when you close your eyes and you tried to conjure up a picture of God, it was either totally blank in a bright way or totally blank in a dark way because it's sometimes even overwhelming to think of what God might look like. 
And others of us, we might have, instinctually an image might have popped into our head that refers back to our, a, a faith background that we've had, or even a, fa- a faith background that we're exploring right now. But if we were talking along the lines of, of Christian theology or Christian doctrine, I would imagine, I will make some assumptions, that many of us, when we close our eyes and we picture God, we picture one of a couple things. Maybe a lot of us pictured something like this, like a 30-year-old man, like a Jewish Jesus character. Okay, and this is a very stoic, like, you know, temp- contemplative Jesus. Maybe it was a Jesus on a cross, or maybe it was a Jesus walking on water, but I would imagine that many of us, when we close our eyes and picture God, we picture Jesus. On the other hand, I would imagine that some of us, when we, when we close our eyes and we picture God, we pictured something more like this, kind of an old guy, a father figure up on a throne above it all, gray beard. This is what God looks like to me. So listen, you got to know, I don't, I actually don't love the internet. I go to ESPN.com and, and I don't know, a couple of some news websites, but I spent hours on the internet looking for what I thought would be the absolute most accurate image, depiction of God's image. What does God look like? And I searched and I searched and I searched and I searched and this is what I found. No, no, that's the right picture. That's not a joke. Okay, now change the slide because I don't want, before I get accused of complete and total heresy, let me get to the point. God says that the idea or reason behind us was to reflect his image. His nature. And I actually want to take a few minutes and simply dwell on the nature of God as Jesus describes God to us. See, Jesus is very well known for pointing us to the Father. Famously saying words like, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Even more explicitly, I and the Father are one. He also says this, I came forth from the Father and have come into the world and I am leaving the world and again, going to the Father. Even more so, he says, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. Jesus works very hard to point us to the Father. We need to know the Father. But it's really, really important to remember that Jesus spends just as much time directing us to know the Spirit. The third member of this divine community that has existed in perfect relationship eternally. Jesus says this, but when he, referring to the Spirit, the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. Jesus also says, he says, he's talking about the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. And again, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. Jesus is saying effectively, know us. Know the community of us because it has something to say about the reason for you, why you exist. God says you exist as a reflection of our nature and our community and the reason for you, the reason for you that if you come into contact with, it will do something to your soul and bring you to life like John claimed in in John chapter one. He says, you exist to be a part of this community that we have existed in eternally. And if they're playing cards, you exist to be at the table. 
So it becomes a sublimely powerful question to ask, how does God community? And asking the question, just how is it that the three of you community, God, becomes something transformational? I want to rob some words from Tim Keller. He spends a lot of time talking about the divine community, the Trinity. And he says these words are so helpful to me in trying to understand how it is that God communities and has community. He says this, the life of the Trinity is characterized not by self-centeredness, but by mutually self-giving love. When we delight and serve someone else, we enter into a dynamic orbit around him or her. We center on the interests and desires of the other. That creates a dance. Particularly if there are three persons, each of whom moves around the other two. So it is, the Bible tells us. Each of the divine persons centers upon the others. None demands that the others revolve around him. Each voluntarily circles the other two, pouring love, delight, and adoration into them. Each person of the Trinity loves, adores, defers to, and rejoices in the others. This creates a dynamic, pulsating dance of joy and love. Honestly, one of the most, one of the most mysterious scriptures in all of the Bible to me, is that story when there's a festival and all of Jesus' disciples say, Jesus, we need to go up to the festival to make yourself known. And Jesus says, no, I'm not gonna go to the festival. And then two days later, he goes to the festival. And I, I have no idea why. It's always been a mystery to me, but I just wonder, is that evidence for how it is that Jesus communities with the Trinity, with Godhead? Like he just, he needed to, def- he needed to defer, he needed to wait. But I get so excited considering the nature of a God who is a community because it helps me understand other things that I have big questions about. On some levels, it helps me understand exactly how I find myself outside of community with God, separated from this amazing, eternal, perfect dance God is doing, a dance that I was meant to experience in community with God. It helps me understand why throughout scripture, this separation from God is referred to as death. Man, one of the most blistering scriptures is this, is the wages of sin is death. Oh my gosh. This helps me understand, wow, uh, if I'm meant to be in community with God and I find life in that, it makes sense to me on some level that my, the way that I'm curved selfishly inward creates a problem with the way God is perfectly curved toward each other eternally and how I can be separated from that because of my nature, because of my condition. It helps me understand why throughout scripture this separation from God is referred to as death and how death is a result of my sin or this inward curving that I have in my selfishness. It also helps me understand why Jesus' offering up of his own life is so important why it matters so much that Jesus took on flesh and lived a life in the flesh in perfect community with God the way I was meant to live in this flesh in community with God. And how he offered up that life as a replacement for mine, as a covering for mine. So that I can re-engage the community of God how I was meant to and come to life. And in essence, God says, through Jesus' demonstration of love on a cross, he says, you were made to reflect and experiencing, to experience our nature as a divine community. That is why you exist. And I am suffering on this cross to make a way for you to experience what you were meant to experience. 
I'm making a way for you to connect with your why so that you can experience life. So I just have one more minute before Ashley's gonna take over. But I wanna use my last minute to make a connection to one of the best movies that's come out in a long time. You see, Moana's story... Moana is an incredible movie. Go watch it, even if you're not a kid. Moana's story captures so much of what we're trying to communicate this morning. Moana is this young person who has struggled her entire life, dissatisfied with every answer she has ever received about why she is alive, what she was meant for. Because every answer she has ever been given about why she was alive only addressed who she was meant to be within the confines of this island she lived on and within the reef that she was confined to. And she had this deep soul desire to understand herself in the context of everything, even that is what is beyond the reef. I need a why to my life that extends beyond the reef. This is what Moana dealt with. In fact, there's an incredible, incredibly powerful scene when she comes to life, when she connects with an answer to who she is and why she's alive that extends beyond the reef. Something in her soul is touched and she comes to life. See, God answers, God's answer to our question about why we're alive is an answer that extends way beyond the reef of this life. It's an answer that is true today and will still be true a thousand years from now. And so if we have this permanent and lasting peace and joy in life that answers this question about why I'm alive, it's just as important to talk about another really important question. The question is, how is my value determined? Where does my value come from? So as Matt briefly mentioned, Moana has this struggle with two worlds of identity that's on the reef and off the reef place. On the reef, on the reef, she doesn't feel quite satisfied, and she finally finds her answers beyond the reef. Well, let's step on that reef for a moment. I live in D.C., so D.C. would be my reef, so to speak, my world. And if you live in D.C., there's a question you get asked pretty much wherever you go, through your dinner, happy hour, on the metro, alumni gathering, wherever, that question what do you do? Right? You all know it. What do you do? And so when someone asks me that question, I typically start with something like, well, I'm a children's pastor. And then I like to add in right then that, by the way, I also have a chemical engineering degree and a master of public policy. And if the opportunity presents itself throughout the conversation, I like to, you know, throw in a couple other fun facts about myself, like I play piano and the clarinet. And by the way, yes, married, and we purchased a condo about a year ago. We did the renovations ourselves. Thank you very much. And I own a car, and I serve on the board of a nonprofit, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I say all of these things because I want to sound successful and important and valuable. I want people to think that I matter and realize that I'm not just a children's pastor. Because when we're on this reef, what matters most is what we've spent generations crafting as the definition of success and importance and value. What matters is what you do. What matters is what other people say about you. Are you fun, nice, smart, intelligent, generous? What you have. Do you have a car, a house, the latest iPhone 7, etc., etc., etc.? 
But the truth is that none of these things are permanent. And your house and your job and your body, none of these are forever kind of things. These are all temporary because the reef that we are on is not a permanent kind of place. It is a temporary kind of place. And so we, like Moana, can start looking beyond this reef for answers, for more permanent answers to find a lasting peace and joy and that life that Mac talks about. So in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, God says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. In the very first book of the Bible, it tells us that we are made in God's image. I am made in God's image. You, me, us. We are made in the image of the all-powerful creator of the universe, and we are specially created and made to be like him. And scattered throughout scripture are are other phrases and reminders that tell us more about our value and how, how valuable we are. In Isaiah 49, it says, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. God has actually written your name on the palms of his very hands. In Isaiah 43, he says, you are precious and honored in my sight. You are precious and honored. Because you see, we, we are beloved by God. I am beloved by God. We are so dearly loved by God. That's what beloved means. It means to be dearly, dearly loved. And we are so loved by God, in fact, that he sent Jesus, his one and only son, to come and die for us on the cross. So loved. And we don't have to do anything to prove that to be true at all. We don't have to do anything. And if you're following along with the bulletin today, you have a fill in the blank. And it says, I am beloved by God because blank. You can cross out the because. You don't need that. There is no because. You are beloved by God. You are dearly, dearly loved. Let's have a quick illustration. This wonderful $100 bill. Would anyone like to take this $100 bill home this morning? Anyone? Does this look good? Oh, some people. Wonderful. I, it's pretty nice. It's from the bank. It's folded a little bit, but it's pretty crisp and, and lovely. It's pretty nice, gorgeous, wonderful. Well, what happens if I put a mark on it? It's a little squirrel. Anyone still want it? You still want it? Okay, interesting. All right, what if I start tearing it a little? You still, does anyone, anyone, does anyone still want it? Anyone? Okay, all right. What if I crumple it? It's pretty, it's pretty crumply. It's still, still there. It's not torn in half or anything, just crumpled. Anyone still want it? Oh, yeah, okay, so a lot of people still want it. And then, what if I, like, I know, spit on it a little? Oh. <laughs> Anyone still want it? Oh, interesting. You still want it. Well, that is fascinating. This poor, this poor $100 bill, it's not looking as good as it was, but it's so valuable that you still want it, even though it's not the beautiful $100 bill that we started with. Why? Well, if you love economics, you would come up and tell me that, well, it's because we use fiat money. It's a system we use in the U.S. It means you can't trade your money in anymore for gold. Instead, the government has decreed that this is worth $100. Well, this $100 bill is actually a little bit like us, too. 
It has an intrinsic value, a value that comes from a deeper place. And we, just like the $100 bill, we are also intrinsically valuable. And just like God still wants us, even when we mess up or the world spits on us, we get crumpled, we get scarred by a friend, they don't call us back, something happens at your job, the world, whatever it is, God still wants us and loves us, even after all of this. He still wants, wants you, and you still want the $100 bill. Because ultimately, you are made in the image of God, and you are beloved by God. And this is true about you, and it will be true about you a thousand years from now, and forever. It is a forever eternal truth. And when we use language like, I am a child of God, what we really mean is, I am made in the image of God, I am beloved by God. So here's the thing, for me at least. In practice, I feel like I kind of end up screwing between these, these two pictures. So on the one hand, yes, child of God, sounds great. I'm eternally purposed, like Matt was talking about, made to be in community with God and to be in community like God. And I'm divinely inspired. I am made in the image of God. And I'm relentlessly loved. I'm beloved by God. There's no because. I just am loved. And yet, on the other hand, I still like to eat and live in a house and have a job and have friends. And I have a reef identity that is still in existence and is important. I am still this profession with these degrees and these hobbies and these talents and these skills and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What ends up happening for me a lot of the time is I kind of feel like I scurry between the two. Scurry between one, the other, kind of trying to decide, kind of depending on the day, where you feel like going. And there's, there's an issue with that, right? Because you end up kind of depending on one picture or the other. So the problem with depending on the reef picture is that the reef is made up of temporary things. The world is made up of temporary things. And when something goes wrong, those temporary things can start to collapse in on themselves. And, and your picture can kind of just, just collapse all the way. And, and maybe it's because you lost a job or, or a friend or, or something happened. But if your ultimate value comes from this picture of yourself, it, it'll be hard to have a good permanent solution to that because things keep shifting and changing. Well, on the other hand, if you make your identity out God, you're kind of like a rock. Like just a rock. You don't, you don't move. You're a pretty rock. You look really great. You're this eternal purpose and divine inspiration and relentlessly love, but you, you've forgotten how to live on the reef. Because we are created to live and to love and, and to work on that reef around us. We are created to be in a community like God as well. And so we need to be a part of that world around us too. And so if you just want to take the middle stance and not choose one or the other, I can promise you at one point it'll pull you either way. So what if we looked at ourselves from a little bit different perspective? So a youth leader actually came up with this wonderful illustration that I've personally found really helpful, and so I wanted to share it with you this morning. So here's what we do. We put your, your child of God identity at your core, your eternally purposed, divinely inspired, and relentlessly loved self, and then you're going to take all the things that are still true about you from the reef, and you rotate them around the outside. So they're orbiting. If you have a bulletin, you'll notice that there are the three statements at the bottom, divinely inspired, 
and relentlessly loved and eternally purposed. And you can draw a circle around those statements. That's your, that's your rock, that's your core. And then, since we remember that we still are created to work and to live and to love on the reef around us, and, and we can be proud of that job or our family or our house renovations or whatever, it's just that those things don't define your ultimate and true value at the end of the day because they're not permanent and lasting. So take a moment and you can kind of, you can kind of put a few of those around your core. You can kind of rotate them around. So I've done, this is my picture up here, a couple of the things, um, if you'd like some inspiration. Um, that's kind of what I've done. This is so important because in times of temporary hardship, we can start, we can start relying on something that's more permanent. Because if, if it crashes your whole world completely, I'm not saying it won't dent it a little, but if it crashes your whole world when, you, when your friend drops you, when something happens at your job, when you fall on hard times, you won't make it very long. But if you have something stronger at the core, you're, you're made of stronger stuff. So take a look at those three statements again. Eternally purposed, divinely inspired, relentlessly loved. And this week, I challenge you to think about these statements. A few questions that might help you to think about them. One is, which do you struggle with the most to believe that it's true? Which do you struggle with the most to believe that it's true? Kind of question, am I really one of those things? Am I really all of those things? The second question, which of these things have you maybe gotten a little bit tangled with your on-the-reef identity? And, and you need to kind of redraw your picture because your job isn't really orbiting. It's kind of become the eternal purpose. Or, or something that the way you look or something about you has kind of become the divinely inspired. Is, is there something that's gotten a little bit tangled for you? And the third question, how much time do you, do you spend to stop and to dwell on these truths? They're eternal truths. Have you, have you internalized them? I know I, I struggle with that. It, it can be really hard to remember that those things are true at the core and that even though this other thing happened, that, that I have something more permanent and lasting. And maybe for you that means that you, you need to journal or pray or go for a walk or sit and think quietly or process with a friend. I'm not sure. But what I do know is that, that just taking a few minutes to think about these things and these eternal truths has been so helpful for me. And I think it might just be for you, too. So I, I challenge you just to consider these truths, spend some time processing, because ultimately this is who God made you from the very beginning. Now, did you know that there's actually a whole group of people in our church who have just started asking these sorts of questions? Just started asking, why am I alive? Where does my value come from? Now, this group can be a little bit serious and just kind of ask you point blank, they're just, they're just going for it. But more often than not, they're a little bit silly, and they'd rather have like a 30-minute conversation with you about their favorite Xbox game or the fidget spinner or their iPhone or whatever cool toy they have. They are our next generation. They are our kids and our teenagers. And they would absolutely love to get to know you and to pick your brain. We have two programs on Sunday mornings for kids and teenagers. They're called Graceland and Grace Student Life. And we want you to know that you don't have to be an expert on these questions of value and why you're alive to be a good leader. Because the only difference between you and these kids, really the only difference, is that you've been asking these questions a little bit longer. 
Also, you're probably taller and have more sophisticated toys, but ultimately, I can't guarantee those things. So, but just think for a moment: wouldn't it be so cool if every every young person who walked out of our church, the next generation, stepped out into the world and they didn't feel like they were defined by what someone said about them on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or whatever the next social media thing is going to be? Wouldn't that be amazing? If this is compelling to you in some way, even if you're just a little bit curious, I would encourage you to fill out. There's an insert in the bulletin this morning, a little white piece of paper.、Um, fill that out and then drop it in the offering box on the way out.、Um, if you're watching or listening online, you can find my email at trygrace.org. And we would love to be in touch with you this week about what we offer, how you can be involved. If you're a good fit for for one of our programs,、um, that would be great. It is so important because every single one of our children and youth wrestle with these questions at some point. Now I know that this doesn't necessarily apply to everyone who's here today, and that is completely and totally okay. Remember those three eternal truths we were talking about? Those still apply to you. You are still eternally purposed. You are still divinely inspired and relentlessly loved. And before we close out for the morning, we we want we want to end with one final kind of fun demonstration to bring everything together and to help you remember those three eternal truths. Because they are true of all of you. Yes, thank you, Ashley. You still got that hundred dollar bill? I do. Ashley's up here flashing this hundred dollar bill at everybody, saying, "Who wants to take it home? Who wants to take it home?" Just messing with you. Wait, actually, you want to give it out? Ah,、uh, okay. Who's serious about taking this hundred dollars home today? Because we're going to have a little fun with this to close、oh. down and bring it all together. There's going to be a point to this. Trust me. But I need five people. I need five people. Say, Komar, I'm in. I'm gonna be made. You're gonna be made uncomfortable. Okay, come on, come on. One, come on up. Here we go. We need four more. Here we go. Two, three, over here. Four, right here, and five, right behind the Grayson Five. Come on up. Look. Full disclosure. This is gonna be kind of like a half fear factor, half.、Uh, I don't know. You're gonna be made a little bit uncomfortable. Okay. So here's the deal. You always know. How much something is worth by what someone is willing to endure to take it home. You, all, you always know how much something is worth by what someone is willing to do to take it home. So we're going to see how much this hundred dollars is worth to these fine folks right here. Okay. So here's the thing.、Um, we're going to lead you through a series of exercises. We'll give you a chance to opt out,、um, but. At the end of the day, here's how it works. You're gonna have one finger on that hundred dollar bill, okay? And whoever keeps their finger on that hundred dollar bill the longest is taking it home, okay? So go ahead,、um, everybody. What you got to do is go ahead and put a finger on that hundred dollar bill. And here's the first thing we're gonna ask you to do. We're gonna make you a little bit uncomfortable, and you got to do it with one hand. You got to take your shoe off, okay? Got all guys up here. I thought I could. Okay. Take your shoe off. Take your sock off. I don't know. You don't have to take your sock off, but you're gonna ha- go ahead and take your foot and plunge it into that bucket of ice water. Oh yeah, that's been sitting for a while. How's that feel, Jim? You can leave them all off. <laughs> okay, you're good. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so this is a slight endurance test, but yeah, also a little fear factor. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, you're good. You're good. How are you guys feeling? You're so sweet. Thank you. You're in. You're in it. How long can you hang? We're not gonna take <laughs> too long with this. 
Okay, well, let's kick it up a notch. See, Ashley, she's been stashing these water guns behind stage oh. for the last half hour. <laughs> and she's just itching to assault somebody with them. So, guys, in 10 seconds, Ashley's going to unleash fury on you. Now is your chance to opt out. She's going to be aiming for your ear hole. Okay? I said, if nobody goes home with swimmer's ear, you failed, Ashley. You need to go work on your aim. Okay, Ashley, looks like they're all in. Go for it. We're going to make them uncomfortable. Go for it. They want 100. They say, it's worth it. Komar, get me wet. I don't care. It's worth it. Let's take it up a notch. Go fear factor. Um, anybody have a problem with bugs or worms? Okay. Uh, we picked one of the nastiest ones. Who's ever seen those really big mealworms? Okay, we had a little stash of mealworms in the back. Ashley's going to go ahead and bring out. She's going to put one on, a couple on everybody's hand. Oh, these guys are in. They say, bring it on. I'm going to eat this. Cedric says, I'm going to eat this. (laughs) 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 Who's got an extra 50 bucks for Cedric right here? You've got to be kidding me. I got one like crawling on you. (laughs) Let me help you right now. Hang on. I'm done. I don't, I don't even know what to say. This is, you know, you come in with a plan. I forgot to eat this morning. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. We got... Okay. That was it. He said... It wasn't even until he saw the mealworm get eaten. He said, you know what, Komar? I want 100 bucks, but it's not worth this. Not worth it. Got four guys still in. Okay, one more thing. One more thing, guys. Okay. Um, Ashley's got a Sharpie. That's a real Sharpie. And she is really good at drawing mustaches on people's faces. This is really happening, just so you know. Okay? You have a chance to opt out, because I don't know where you're going after this. Okay? It's not a pretend Sharpie. It's not washable. Mm-mm. But you can go curly up the cheek, mustache all over these guys. <laughs> now is your chance to opt out. Get the foot down in the... Yes. Oh, your foot's feet down. Okay. You guys all in? <laughs> Sharpie mustache. Right, okay, stop. Time. Ashley, stop, 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 stop. We're not actually going to draw markies up, Sharpies on our faces. But listen. Okay. We, we got to bring this to a close. So what we're going to do, you guys are so, let's give it up for these guys. They are so tough. I can't believe it. You're all going to take home part of the hundred, okay? Ashley's got some change for you. I know we just, you're too tough. You're tougher than I ever imagined. I only have, I only have 10. Every single Sorry. one of these guys says. You get 20 bucks. I, I only have 10s. I only have 10s. But you can, you can each have 20. Oh, okay. No, no. They're real 10s. I promise. All right. Here we go. They want to keep the foot in the I'll water. Just take the hundred dollars. Yeah, you're good. You're, you're okay, good. They, let's you're, give it up for these guys. Paid. Thank you, <laughs> thank you for participating in this demonstration. Well done, man. Thank you. <laughs> you. You can take your foot out. Yes, you, you may. You may return to your seat. Every single one of these guys. I'm going to bring this to a close. Tell you why we did this. Every single one of these guys. They said it with their finger on the hundred, saying, "I'm taking this home." I'm taking this hundred home. Do what you want to do to me. I'm taking this hundred home. And you always know what something is worth by what someone is willing to endure to have it. And if I can leave you with a picture this morning, it's this. You can think of this as a picture of exactly what Jesus was communicating 
when he endured the shame of the cross and the pain of the cross. He's hanging there and he's suffering and he's got his hand on you. And he's saying, do what you got to do to me, but I'm taking it home. You can bring your worst and I'm not taking my hand off. This is the picture of what Jesus communicates through his demonstration of love on a cross. My hand is on what I believe to be mine and what I'm taking home. My hand is on the one whose face was inspired by my face. My hand is on the one who was created to be in relationship with me and to experience me as part of our divine community. I will not take my hand off. There is no pain. There is no shame that I will not endure that can cause me to remove my hand. I am taking you home with me. Our prayer, as we've been thinking about this morning, is that our wondering about why we're alive and our wondering about how our value is determined would disappear. Because the truth is this, every time we ask that question, why am I alive? We taste death a little bit in our mouth. And every time we go through a process, after a failure, after a heartbreak, after whatever it is, and we wonder, what is it about me that has any value or that I have to offer and why do I matter? Listen, our prayer is that for any of us, that would all disappear because we would internalize what Jesus Christ is communicating to us, his beloved, as he says, I will demonstrate for you on a cross how much I love you. Listen, if you're this morning and that is something you struggle with, we just want to let you know that there's going to be people over here ready to pray for you. And we just want to invite you to come and have a prayer and let them walk you through that conversation. And then for anybody who might be here for the very first time, Ash and I would love to meet you. We're going to be right over here at Grayson 5 as soon as we close in prayer. And we'd love you just to, in five minutes or less, tell you everything you need to know about Grace Community Church. But as Ashley challenged you before, this week, just take some time. Dwell on these truths about who you are and why you're alive and how your value is determined. Let's pray. Almighty God, Father, Spirit, Son, we are so grateful to be loved by you, to reflect your image and your nature and to have been intended to be in community with you. Jesus, thank you for demonstrating exactly how beloved we are to you by enduring shame and the pain of the cross. Father, we ask that you would move in our hearts this morning for any of us who in the past day, week, month, year, we have tasted death in the times that we wonder why do we even exist? And how is my value determined? What is it about me that means I matter? Lord, will you move in our hearts and convince us of who we are in your eyes and free us from those questions? Lord, will you be with each one here this morning all week long? You bless us.
Bless, keep us, make your face shine upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.